Have you found Mark? Have you found Mark 16? Have you found Mark 16, 15? Fantastic. It says as follows. And he, capital H, speaking of Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. In case you're unaware, everything that we do at church, here at the Cornerstone Church, whether it's an activity or a service or a sermon that I preach, falls into our vision. Our vision is all about helping the individual understand that they are significant, and we do this through what we refer to as what? The free C's. Let's say them together. They are what? Christ, connection, and contribution. Now, two weeks ago, I shared a message with us in church that was entitled, Don't Miss the Point. And the focus was on focusing on Christ in everything we do and everything that we are. Last week, I shared on a message called Healthy Disguised as Hurting. And that challenged each and every one of us to look at the state of our heart first, and secondly, how that may or may not affect our connection with others. Today, it's about focusing on Christ through contribution, which is the third C, and that contribution being the sharing of the good news of the gospel with others. I want to speak to you today about sharing the gospel with others in an ever-secular world, an ever-secular society and an ever secular nation. I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel in a nation that seems to be consistently taking steps backwards from its so-called original root in Christianity. I want to talk to you about sharing the gospel in a nation that challenges the notion of free speech, a a nation that is resistant to the gospel, that is more interested in new age and science alone and living as a free spirit. Now, we all know that if you enter into anything such as a marriage or a relationship or even a job interview and it's all about yourself and you make it all about you, that thing is likely doomed to fail. But likewise, I have noticed that that same spirit has somewhat creeped into our churches today where we've no longer made it about preaching the gospel, reaching the lost and seeing souls come to Christ as we have made it about us. The Bible tells us in James that many of us pray and we pray amiss, that we may spend it on our own desires and own pleasures. And we must be very careful as a church that we don't make it all about us. And that was the emphasis of the message that I preached a couple of weeks ago when I said don't miss the point. And so I want to say to you this morning that if what I'm about to share with you doesn't excite you, if me talking about the fact that I'm going to be speaking to you about sharing the gospel and how to do that in this day and age doesn't excite you, I want you to go back and take a moment and reflect on what Christian walk you are walking. I want you to take a moment and go back to God's word and think about what gospel you are living according to because sharing the gospel should be something that excites you, should be something that's on your heart, and should be a goal 
and agenda that you have. And so the title of my message today is, Who Are You Talking To? Who are you talking to? Do you remember when you had the audacity to respond to your mother or dad when you were younger? And they looked back at you and they said, what? Who are you talking to? Am I your or your age mate? Who are you talking to? So do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and ask them, who are you talking to? You might even want to add a fam at the end of that. Who are you talking to, fam? But of course, I'm talking about sharing the gospel in an ever-secular world. And I'm talking about that because we are told in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, to go and make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are told to go and share the good news of the gospel throughout the world to every creature. Now, I know that many people struggle when it comes to sharing their faith, when it comes to evangelism, when really, actually, when I think about it, they have no reason to. But having said that, let me give you three common reasons people fear sharing their faith. In case you're taking notes, I want to give you three common reasons. For those of you watching online, three common reasons people fear sharing their faith with others. Here's the first one. The fear of not knowing enough. The fear of not knowing enough. Being worried about what one knows and what they perhaps don't know and how they might be challenged on what they do not know. However, I want you to know that God doesn't expect us to have all of the answers when it comes to sharing our faith. In fact, he wants us to be like little children, he tells us in Matthew 18 verse 3, who will come to him in order to learn from him and to rely on him. God doesn't want us to fear. He doesn't want us to panic when it comes to sharing the good news of the gospel. He simply wants us to do our part, which is the sharing. The second reason why people fear spreading the gospel is the fear of rejection. Now, we know that rejection is never easy simply because we as individuals have an inbuilt human desire for love and acceptance. So the fear of being outrightly rejected stops us from even trying. However, Matthew chapter 10 verse 14 reminds us that it is our job to share. And if they don't hear you, it says, it says, shake the dust of your feet. In other words, it's not your responsibility to convert. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's simply your job to share. And if they don't hear you, then, take, then shake the dust of your feet. And if they reject you, I know it's easier said than done, but don't take it personally because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the truth. And the third reason why people fear sharing is the fear of how they may be perceived. The fear of how they may be perceived. For some, their fear is in their reputation how they may be viewed amongst friends and colleagues and families, and so they are careful of their branding. However, in Philippians 2.7, we are reminded that Jesus made himself of no reputation. No reputation. And we must do likewise. In fact, when you read Luke chapter 9 and verse 26, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed, when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. Now, I've always said when I've highlighted this scripture that Jesus is not talking about people who do not know who he is in the scripture. 
He's not talking about that. He's talking about people who say they worship him, people who call him Lord. He says, if they are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you, which means it's possible to be a believer and still be ashamed of sharing the gospel, still be ashamed of God. And notice it says, not ashamed of, it says, for whoever is ashamed, not just of me, but of my words. If you're ashamed of my words, he will also be ashamed of you. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel with those who are unsaved, we often, of course, refer to this as evangelism, which leads us to ask the question, what is evangelism? Evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, euangelion, which means good news or good tiding or good story. It is also known as the practice of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel itself means good news or good story. And to first century Christians, the gospel was described as victory over the enemy made possible through Jesus Christ. Victory over the enemy made possible through Jesus Christ. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus paid the price so that each and every one of us could enter into rest. So that we are no longer saved by works, but we are saved by what? His grace. And that's what Ephesians 2, 8 tells us. The good news is that we are redeemed from the fall and are at liberty to enter into a relationship with Christ Jesus by letting him into our lives and in doing so being redeemed from eternal damnation. Evangelism and sharing the good news is a prerequisite for Christ's return. You know, often people say we don't know when Christ is going to return. The Bible doesn't tell us when Jesus is going to come again. That's not true. The Bible does tell us when Jesus is going to come again. It's right there in Matthew 24, verse 14. You can have a look at it in your Bible. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then what does it say? And then the end will come. So we know when Christ is coming, when every nation and every creature has heard the gospel, then we know that Christ will return. Now, of course, as the world's population increases, the task gets harder and harder. At the time of the Great Commission, at the time when Jesus said, go into all the nations of the world and preach the gospel, the population on earth around that time was only maybe about 170 million. Okay? Today, the population of the world is 7.8 billion. We are talking about 195 nations. And on the topic of 195 nations, how many of you have been to more than 10 nations of those 195 nations in this world? Oh, cool. How many of you have been to more than eight of those nations? Five of those nations? Two of those nations? How many of you never left home, never left the country? Okay. How many of you who are well-traveled, maybe some of you who are excellent students when it comes to geography, have been to Kiribati? Anyone? In Oceana? No? Anyone been to Fortuna in Polynesia? No? Comoros, perhaps? In East Africa? No? 
Some of you are like, are you making these countries up off your, your head? No. Some of you never heard of these countries, which shows you that there's work to be done. We're talking about 195 nations. We're talking about approximately 7,000 languages that are spoken across the globe today. How many of you speak more than two of those languages? Let me see. How many of you speak? So no one speaks more than one language here? Yeah, yeah. Do you speak more than just one? Just, because if you speak, okay, how many of you speak two languages? Those of you online that can understand the language that I'm speaking this morning, how many languages do you speak? Who, who speaks two languages here? What languages do you speak? Shout them out to me. Ga. Is that a language? Oh, okay. I'm joking, I'm joking. You've had your hand up. Yoruba. You speak Yoruba? So-so. I'm tempted, I'm tempted to test him because we have translators in the room, okay? So a couple of us speak a couple of languages. I've always said to people, you know, I say it all the time, I speak three languages. You know what they are. What are they? English. Four languages. English. Tongues. Scottish. And American. I speak four languages now, okay? 195 nations, 7,000 languages. Does anyone here speak Frisian? Does anyone here speak Sarsi? Does anyone here speak Licky? Has anyone heard of these languages? No. Well, as you can see, there are lots of countries in our world, lots of languages, and work to be done. And this may surprise you, but did you know that there are some places in the world where Coca-Cola is known and Jesus isn't? Yes. So we have work to do when it comes to spreading the gospel. Now, it may sound like it's a massive task, but the reality is, if we all play our part, knowing that you are significant, if we all play our part in sharing the gospel with one person, with two people, with three people, then we would be able to reach nations of the world much quicker than you ever could imagine. However, we all have to play our part. Ask the person next to you, who are you talking to? When it comes to evangelism, it's about looking past barriers to present the truth. And most of the time, when we come to sharing the gospel with others, we put the social and the racial and the religious barriers there as justifications to not share the gospel with them or even invite them to church. Have you ever been in that situation before? I know I've been there before, where it's just you and somebody on the tube carriage or the bus. And in your heart, you know that God is saying, go and speak to that person. But then you start putting justifications in place. If they stay on two more stops, then I'll go and speak to them. Then they stay on two more stops, and you're like, oh, but they're busy with the newspaper. Then they put the newspaper down. Anyone been there before? Can anyone confess? We make all of these justifications so that when the person leaves, we can say, oh, you see, it wasn't meant to be. They left. We put all of these barriers in place when actually God wants us to be bold enough to go and speak, bold enough to offer the invitation. And research shows that there is a high percentage, a high percentage of people coming to church if they are invited, especially when it comes to particular seasons like Easter and Christmas. And now, with services being online, it's even easier 
for your friend who is skeptical of going to the church building to actually log on from their bedroom or from their kitchen as long as you extend the invite. Now, I am no stranger to the fact that you might extend an invite to someone to come to church or you may share the gospel, as I said earlier, and they may or may not listen. But if you never extend the invite, if you never attempt to share, then there is definitely no chance of them coming or receiving. I remember a few years ago going to an interview and um, it was an open day interview and I was going with a friend who was also um, coming to this open day interview. I told him about it and they had an interview on the same day. And I remember in the morning, my friend called me and he was like, I'm so flustered. I've got nothing to wear. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I said, calm down, just find anything and then come. He called me back a few minutes later. He said, I'm just like, I'm just panicking. I'm just stressed. I can't find anything to wear. I'm not going to come. And I paused for a moment. And then I said to him, if you don't come to this interview, you have a 100% chance of not getting the job. I said, even if you come and you're stressed and you're flustered mannerisms, at least you have a higher percentage of coming. Of, of getting the job than you do if you don't come at all. He came and he got the job. Sometimes we just need to extend the invite and let God do his part. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable when you invite that person to church and it happens to be on that Sunday that the pastor is speaking about money. <laughs> or it happens to be that Sunday that we break out in tongues and you're thinking, my friend is just going to think this is crazy, this is mad. But do you know in those circumstances, I have still seen people give their lives to Christ. Because God just wants us to do the inviting and let the Holy Spirit do his work that we cannot do in their hearts. Now, let me give you five practical ways, five practical ways in which we can share the good news of our faith with others. Because I don't want anybody coming up to me at the end of service today or messaging me tomorrow and saying, well, PK, that was a great message, but how do I put that into practice? You have no excuse because I'm going to give you five practical tips that you can use to go about sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Here's the first one. Pray for God to give you the words to speak. Pray for God to give you the words to speak. When we understand that it is our job to share and not to save, we realize that we are simply there to sow a seed. And it's the spirit that works in man to save. Now, it is believed that it takes, on average, four years from when a person hears about Christ before they actually give their life to Christ. So on average, four years from when they first hear about Christ to when they actually give their life to Christ. Which means that you sharing the gospel could be anywhere along that journey. You could be that initial seed. You could be the one that's watering during that time. You could be the one who sees that fruit come to fruition. The most important thing is that you share. The second way you can be practical when it comes to sharing your faith is to look for creative ways to start a conversation. Look for creative ways to start a conversation. I'll give you a clue, or a clue, I'll give you um, one free of charge that I always use. I love using this one. I love asking strangers um, this question. I go up to them and I say, um, quick question, um, if you were to die right now, where would you go, heaven or hell? And when they respond and they say, heaven, I say, oh, so do you believe in Christ? If they say hell, I say, oh, so you believe there's a heaven and, heaven, uh, a heaven and hell? And I begin the conversation that way. And of course, if they don't believe in heaven or hell, they're going to say, well, I don't believe in heaven or hell, and then I'm able to start a conversation. But one of the other creative ways you can go about starting a conversation 
is actually just asking someone what they did for their weekend. What did you get up to for the weekend? And the reason why I say that is because any half-decent human typically returns the question. <laughs> I know you have that colleague who, what did you do for the weekend? Yeah, I went out. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they keep it moving. But most people will return the question. This is what I did for the weekend. How about you? And then you can fit it in there. I went to church. And they might say, oh, okay. Or they might say, oh, so you're a Bible basher. Are you a religious person? And that allows you to start a conversation. Or better yet, you can ask them, did you go to church on Sunday? Do you go to church on Sunday? You just need to be creative when it comes to starting the conversation. One, pray for God to give you the words to speak. Two, look for creative ways to start a conversation. Number three, share out of your experience above knowledge and history. Share out of your experience above knowledge and history. Most people are afraid to share because they think I'm going to be rebuttaled on history. However, I've realized no one can take your personal experiences from you. When you share out of God's experience in your life, it gives you greater depth to share from. When you share your testimony, I was once blind, but now I can see, it allows you to share from a place of authenticity. I will never forget the day I was in school and it just came out of me. The Holy Spirit just gave it to me. We was on a school trip and we were walking and we started talking about faith and I will never forget one of the guys turned around to me and said, Kunle, how can you believe in a God that you cannot see? And I didn't even think about it without any hesitation. The Holy Spirit just blurted out of my mouth, how do you know you've got a headache when you can't see it? To which the group stopped and said, oh, that's a good one. And in my mind, I was thinking, of course it was a good one. I said it. I shared it. <laughs> I said, you can't see a headache when you've got one, but what you can feel it. I said, how do you know it's windy now? Can you grasp the wind? Can you hold it? Can you touch it? No, but you can feel it. And I started to share with them from my experiences that I feel God's presence in my life. I know he's in my life and in everything that I do and everything I am. And I began to share out of my experiences. And in the same way, you can think of creative ways to share out of your experience above knowledge and history. Because don't get me wrong, there is a place, there is a place for theology. I studied theology. There is a place for apologetics. But debating and apologetics isn't necessarily going to bring someone to Christ. Okay? And what you don't want to do is win the argument but lose the war. You go away feeling happy and satisfied that you've got your point across, but how closer to Jesus did that person get? How closer to Jesus did they get in terms of giving their life to him? Here's point number four. When you're sharing the gospel, please avoid jargon and keep it simple. There is no point in quoting scriptures they've never read. I want to share the gospel with you because in Deuteronomy chapter four, they don't know of Deuteronomy. Okay? So there is no point in you using all this jargon. You have to keep it simple, okay? If you don't keep it simple, you will only alienate them and make them feel confused. This is why Paul said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense to them, but it makes perfect sense to us. So we have to do exactly what Jesus did with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Do you remember that story? He is talking to her in spiritual language. He said, if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. This woman was like, where would you get this water from? 
I want to go to Costco. I want some of this water. She didn't understand. So what did Jesus do? Jesus was like, she's not getting it. It's going over her head. He now had to bring it down to her level. How many husbands you got? That's when she was like, oh, hold on. This guy knows, guy knows about me and my life. And sometimes when you're sharing the gospel, it is more powerful to bring it down to a level that the person can relate with. When you can relate it to something that's going on in their life, when you can relate it to where they are at in this journey of life, they are more likely to be open to what you have to share. But if you're quoting things and using jargon and complicated terms, it's just going to go over their head and alienate them. So avoid jargon and keep it simple. And here's number five. When you're sharing the gospel, please be respectful. Tell the person next to you, be respectful. I say that because you are not debating, so please don't be condescending, but rather be caring when you're sharing the gospel. Okay? Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words and the opportunity to share, and you will know when and how to share from a place of love and how to conduct the conversation. Okay? So pray for God to give you the words to speak. Look for creative ways to start a conversation. Share out of your experience above knowledge and history. Avoid jargon and keep it simple. And number five, be respectful. And in addition to this, always feel free to offer people prayer. You'll be surprised how many people will be happy for you to pray with them in that moment, okay? And if you're not able to pray with them in that moment, encourage and challenge them to go and seek God in prayer. I remember a few weeks ago um, being in um, Wagamama and encountering this waitress who was flustered, and she was wearing um, a crucifix. And I challenged her, and I said, oh, I see that you're wearing a cross on your neck. Are you a Christian? She said, no, I'm not Christian, but my parents are. And I said to her, look, if your parents are Christian, they know something that you probably don't know. So I would challenge you to go and pray. Obviously, I didn't have the time to evangelize to her while she's working and preach to her and, you know, firecracker getting cold and all that. But I'm joking. But it was an opportunity really to challenge her to think about what it was that she was wearing around her neck. And she talked about having a bad day. And who knows, maybe, maybe that was one of the seeds on the four-year journey. Maybe. But the most important thing is that I did my part. Please remember, when you're sharing people, you are not preaching at them or condemning them. Evangelism is simply introducing one person to another. It's introducing God to man. Finally, please remember that people receive Christ into their lives through another set of free C's. Conviction, curiosity, and crisis. Say them with me. Conviction, curiosity, and crisis. Typically, people receive Christ into their life through these three vehicles. Conviction, that was the case of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Curiosity, tell me more, that was Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who went to Jesus at night. How can a man be born again? He was curious. And crisis, when people have nothing or no one to turn to, they're open to hearing Christ. And how many of you know that people are experiencing a whole load of different crises today, okay? Now, either which way they receive it, conviction, curiosity, crisis, please remember, the biggest form of evangelism is your lifestyle. It is your lifestyle. And believe me, they are watching you. I remember being in secondary school, year 11, sent home because I was sick. 
And one of the guys in my year group said, Kule, are you Bunky? But I thought you were a Christian. I said, wow. <laughs> they are watching you. They are watching you when you preach the gospel and talk about how you need to come to Christ. But then when your boss is not in the office, you leave work at four when you're supposed to finish at five. They're watching you. The biggest form of evangelism is your lifestyle. So be a testimony through your lifestyle, an example of faith. Live an integral life and be encouraged to share courageously. I'm going to close with what I call an invite challenge to you. And the invite challenge is simply based on a number of stats that you may or may not be aware of that I've shared with us in our church previously. Did you know that 1% of non-Christians come to church because they were visited by Christians? 1% because they were visited. 2% because of a church program, a holiday club, a lunch group, or the like. 3% of people, non-Christians, will come to church because of a bereavement in the family. 3% because of Sunday school for their children. 6% will walk through the door because they have seen some publicity or marketing. 8% will come because of some personal contact that they've had with the minister or church staff. But listen to this. 77% of non-Christians will come to church because a friend or relative invited them. In other words, the majority of non-believers that would come into a church will come as a result of an invitation from a friend or family. My challenge to you is to think about how much of that 77% you have contributed to this year. Think about the souls that are in heaven. In fact, imagine being in heaven and doing a count of how many people are also in heaven as a result of you sharing the gospel with all the millions and billions of souls, wouldn't it be a shame to have your score tally up to zero because you never took the courage to share the gospel with someone? And so I want to encourage you to do three things. One, contribute to the 77 by inviting someone to church in person. Two, contribute to the 77% by inviting someone to church online. And thirdly, challenge yourself to share the good news with someone in your circle can we do that church because there's no point in us coming and receiving if we're not going to put it into practice we want to see souls come to the kingdom of god and i know that many of us will have questions about obstructions and obstacles and again on thursday we can discuss that through connection group but let me tell you this the importance of sharing the gospel comes to mind when for me I get a text on Wednesday telling me that a friend has 48 hours left to live. That's when you remember and start to ask yourself, what is this life all about? Is it about storing up things that we're not going to take with us once we cross over? After all, Colossians 3 tells us not to store up treasures here on earth, but in heaven where it matters. And thank God, 48 hours on, they're still alive, but speaking to her brother this morning they say the condition hasn't deteriorated it hasn't got any better or worse it's the same challenge we don't know what's happening but as I'm listening and as I'm talking I'm thinking this is why it's so important to share the gospel same age same class we're here one day and just like the wind Solomon says we can be gone tomorrow so 
I want each and every one of us to take a moment and think about what we are doing in this life as believers. If we're just storing up everything for ourselves, just building for our kingdom, or if we are saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, and chase them after souls, which God loves dearly. Amen? I want us to bow our heads for a second.